0: You're listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival, a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors. I'm Valerie Koo, and I'm the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, writer and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, we discover the personalities and passions of people who meld their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country they call home. In this episode, I'm chatting to Louise Zhang, the artist who designed the playful Monkey Tower lantern for the Sydney Lunar Festival. Louise has had multiple solo shows, both in Beijing and Australia. As an artist, she's interested in horror cinema, particularly the body horror genre, and describes her art like bubblegum. More recently, she's been incorporating more elements of her Chinese heritage into her artwork. Thanks so much for joining us today, Louise. Oh, I'm really excited. So let's just start with what does Lunar New Year mean to you?
1: Lunar New Year to me is a, a quite a significant time. Um, I liken it to how families celebrate Christmas because it's a time where my family come together. Um, but I think it holds a bit more of a significance. To myself, uh, because Lunar New Year in Sydney, it's something where I think you don't really see in other places where it does celebrate people and diversity, another culture, but it's not a separation of another culture, if that makes sense. It's Mm. kind of everyone coming together. And like for me growing up as an Australian Chinese uh, person, you know, seeing bits of my culture being celebrated in the mainstream, it's its quite a rare occurrence. So Lunar Year was something that I grew up seeing where it was a mainstream. Mm, yes. Yeah.
0: Now you have uh, designed the incredible Monkey Tower lantern for the Sydney Lunar Festival, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in a sec. But first of all, what made you want to be an artist?
1: Oh, boy. What made me want to be an artist? Um yeah. Gosh, I mean, it's it's pretty great, isn't it? It's like you get to be creative all the time. And creativity was something that I was most comfortable with as a child, but also was something that always excited me and I was able to learn constantly. And I was, I guess I was lucky enough to be surrounded by it. Um, now that I've grown older, I've kind of like reflected back as to why I actually became an artist. Mm. And there were things in the family that did, I think, yeah, trigger a bit of that. Like my mom always doodled a lot and drew things. She never thought of herself as an artist, but she, I reckon she's a great drawer. Mm. And my grandpa um, practices calligraphy. And so we had uh, some of the things that he's done around the house, both in Australia and China. And yeah, I think those things, along with like just loving the process of actually making, made me decide to pursue the road of becoming an artist. Mm.
0: So you, it sounds like you grew up in an environment where creativity was encouraged. And as you said, the people in your family were fairly artistic as well, particularly your grandfather, as you've mentioned. So was it fairly um, normal for them, for you to make the decision to become an artist or did they have any kind of stereotypical Asian parent expectations of you to become a doctor?
1: (laughs) I was just saying that they my parents, even though I'm an artist and I'm like 27 and I feel like I'm in the business quite deep now, um, they still have these kind of like slight dreams of me becoming an, uh, a doctor or an accountant. <laughs> it's like it never leaves. Um, so art and creativity, well, I would say creativity was valued in the home, but pursuing it as an actual career wasn't something that was ever thought of. Um yeah. So, like, everyone was quite creative, but it wasn't something that you did as a, a career itself. So, yes, and why do you think that was? Oh, money. <laughs> money, survival. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only able to become an artist because my family has paved the way for me to be able to. So, my parents never had that opportunity uh, to, you know, pursue their dreams, to do their dream job they're still working like they love their jobs now but their main goal um since they arrived in australia um to which they hold on to till now is that they need to survive they need to um be able to give me a, a better upbringing a better a better life and that comes from working whatever job and so i it's totally understandable that they wanted me to reach higher i guess to to become like something like a doctor or something that had a bit more of a stable, stable, I don't know, lifestyle, I guess. So
0: have they come to terms with the fact that that's not what you're doing?
1: No, (laughs) (laughs) they haven't. So they, they accept that this is something I do, but they haven't really accepted that this is a a forever kind of thing.
0: Okay. So where did your parents uh, come from and when did they do that? And why?
1: Uh, my parents came from Wenzhou in the Zhejiang province. My mom's from the city of Wenzhou and my dad's from a little island called Chidu, which is uh, now being absorbed by Wenzhou. Um, they came around, I think it was like 1989, the, the late 80s. Isn't it 89? Yeah, possibly. I think it was 89. Yeah. Um, and they came here because it was um, – well, for my dad, he wanted to – he was really good at school and he wanted to kind of leave the island where it's mostly farmland and uh, become more than just another farmer. And so he wanted to come to Australia and actually study here and become a math teacher because that was his dream, to become a math teacher. I don't know how that's a dream, but, you know, <laughs> Um. And my mum, she was the youngest in the family and the family thought that they would uh, give her a better opportunity by uh, like sending her out into the world as opposed to kind of staying um, in Winslow and then like marrying and becoming a housewife and that's kind of the end of her story. So, that is why she left. And so, did they meet
0: there or or in Australia?
1: Oh, they met here. My, um, they were like practically neighbors and my dad actually brought home a, another guy to introduce to my mum. Mm-hmm. but apparently he wasn't as good looking as my dad, was a lot shorter than my mom and my mom's quite tall and it was like all these things that were, were apparently not suited towards my mum, just so he could look better and <laughs> so, you know, it worked out in the end. Yes, all right. So you were born here, where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born in the RPA, uh, and I grew up in around the Marrickville area. I still live around the Marrickville area, so it's very much my home. And so,
0: um, when you were growing up, uh, you know, in the child of migrant parents, did you um, feel that you were um, any different to the people who you were going to school with and you were growing up with, or did you feel like pretty at home?
1: Oh no, I felt that I was different um I think it it was probably the fact that like we weren't as well off as my fellow classmates and I think that could tell like people judged us by the the way we lived what we ate the way we looked um the fact my parents back then couldn't really speak English well um yeah I think it's quite a common story for uh kids like me who have, like, um, migrant parents and they were born here and then they have to try and deal with, like, uh, kind of two cultures. Mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, I never really felt like I belonged and I realized as I was growing up that a lot of the time I was trying to deny the fact that I was being Chinese by kind of not embracing it, by being embracing the fact, like, if someone was, like, oh, you're not really Chinese, you're actually Australian, or you're more Australian, or you're one of us. So Mm. those were things that I used to take pride in. Um, But now that I'm older and I was able to, you know, reflect on those experiences, I realized they're actually more of a negative because it was denying the part that makes me who I am. Mm. So, So, yeah.
0: If you were, when you were growing up, you didn't really feel like you belonged, do you, how do you feel now? Do you feel like you belong? Do you, and I know that you sometimes uh, go to China on holidays, uh, do you feel like you belong there? What, what's it like now?
1: It's kind of odd. I feel at home in Australia, but I also feel at home in China, but I also don't belong in Australia as I don't belong in China. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of like a bit of a, a limbo. And I think, again, that's like a lot of um, my generation of kids that went through a similar process um, of growing up. So, like, you know, in China, you're not quite Chinese enough or, yeah. or so called Chinese enough. Um, you don't really understand uh, all those traditions or ways of talking, uh, mm-hmm. things that you would have learned that if you were, like, you would have learned if you grew up there. Um, while here, unfortunately like I still get that bout of racism (laughs) now and then um, and then that's a a reminder of how much I don't belong Um, Mm. but that I know that's not on me or people like me you know Mm. Mm. but it does kind of like bring you down a bit and make you go oh I I would never 100% be accepted.
0: Right and so let's talk a little bit about your art how would you describe your art? Or the kind of art you like doing at the moment.
1: I would describe my art as like a pack of gum. <laughs> okay. Is that a bit weird. Yeah, like a pack of really like like Hubba Bubba, really really like sweet, gooey gum. Um, and it's like really tasty. And you can blow bubbles and all that. But then someone like spits it on the ground, and then you and then you accidentally step on it, and then you have to get it off your shoe. Like. <laughs> That's how I describe my art. Like kind of seductive, sweet, really colourful, but kind of gross.
0: But kind of gross. Yeah. That's a really good metaphor then, (laughs) Um, bubblegum. I understand that you have an interest in horror cinema.
1: Yes, I do.
0: (laughs) Tell us why and how that feeds into your art.
1: Yeah, this one has – whenever I get asked a question, uh, like, similar to this or along the lines of, like, why are you interested in horror and how does it relate to art, I, I always find it really difficult to just give uh, one answer because I think it impacts so many different aspects of what I create but also part of my identity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so You can give I, more than one answer. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> Well, I mean, things – you know, horror and all those things, they weren't exactly – accepted in my family. They were seen as uh, the devil's work. My family is very religious. I grew up very religious. Um, And so things that are kind of seen as, I guess, not normal or a bit improper, uh, things that aren't really allowed in the home. But those were all the things that I really were interested in. And the more that I wasn't allowed it, the more I wanted to explore it. <laughs> I think that's a pretty kind of a natural human thing, right? Like, Yeah, you if, wanted to be a rebel, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was an emo as a child. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I realized that a lot of the reasons why I liked horror was cause it, I was faced with, um, all this, I grew up with uh social anxiety where I couldn't leave the house and all that. And, um, horror is a great embodiment of anxiety. It actually became quite like therapeutic in a way. Mm. Um, cause you know, you live out other people's experiences of that anxiety as opposed to you yourself. And uh, aside from that, like there are other aspects of horror, like, um, my main interest is body horror. So the subgenre of body horror like so things like David Cronenberg, Um, I love when like the idea of your, a human body or a body that you are, you are familiar with starts to transform or mutate into something that you can't recognize anymore. Mm -hmm. And that process, um, tends to be quite gooey and drippy and, and really gross and visceral. Um, but those things are all founded in things that are really seductive and sexy and attractive to us, like ice cream and syrups and, and like gum and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so and that kind of boundary between like what's what becomes nasty and what becomes attractive and like I love all that. So there there are like quite a few different things. Yes. And now you do painting, but you also do sculpture,
0: installation. Do you have a preferred um type of art that you that you like doing or are you focusing on any one of those more than the other at the moment?
1: At the moment, I'm working more uh, on sculptures, I'm still kind of exploring materials. I'm very interested in how materials work, especially man-made materials, because they're like magic potions to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like what yeah. sort of man-made materials? Well, I'm using UV resin at the moment, so resin that's mm-hmm. cured uh, via UV. Uh, it's founded in a lot of, um, like the, the concentrated material, you can find it in um, nail salons when you get your gel nail polish done yeah um that stuff but like you know if you have that stuff in bulk and you shape it and you can drip it and set it while it's dripping it can create like mm, really 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 cool things yes. um
0: yeah so do and, you work out of a studio your own studio and it's it, it, and if you have to do sculpture do so you need a lot of space for all of the you know creation and the materials as you said and the toxic
1: fumes presumably <laughs> yeah. um i do i'm lucky enough to uh i in in the past i did use a lot of like epoxy resins and um uh, what are they called polyutheranes, which is like yep. the plastic that you can find in toys yep. um and those are quite toxic when they're starting to uh, bond and solidify um and you know don't really want to be around such toxic things all the time. So um, the part of the reasons why I'm exploring UV resin at the moment it is, is that it's safer than that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so I'm still looking at other materials that I can play with but are better for my health and the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's the most challenging thing about being an artist? Oh, I think there are two things. Mm-hmm. if that's all right. Yeah. Um, the first one would be, like, being an artist. It's tough because you're constantly thinking, um, and that thinking, with like, for someone with anxiety can be quite overwhelming sometimes. Mm. I think, um, you know, like, there's a lot of stereotypes of, like, geniuses or artists uh, having mental illnesses, but it's not really spoken about how to... Uh, in nowadays be a healthy person while being in that sort of field Mm -hmm. like it's like like burnout and fatigue is all just kind of accepted as opposed to actually spoken about and um you know learning ways to actually cope and being healthy and not kind of overwhelming your overwhelming yourself um with the stuff you're making because uh art the art that you make comes from you. It's not like a kind of like a nine to five job where you can separate your home life and your work life. It's it's always there, and you're always thinking about it. So I think that's quite a tough aspect of mm. being an
0: artist. Was there another one?
1: Oh yeah, the other one's the classic one of like trying to make a living out of it. <laughs> oh yeah, <okay. laughs> yeah. But I think everyone knows that. What's the most um, rewarding thing about it? Oh, oh, so many rewarding things. I think that's why we all keep doing it. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, it's, um, the act of discovery of like, mm. um, cause when I, when I have a, I guess, when I'm stuck or I can't think of ideas or I, I'm like, I don't really know what to do, I always go back to materials and materials. When you play with materials and experiment with them, they can reveal so much more than just what they originally were for. Mm. And so that part for me is super exciting. It's really rewarding Um, and it makes me want to keep making because I want to keep discovering.
0: Let's move on to the Monkey Tower, which is incredible Mm. and it is one of the lanterns at the Sydney Lunar Festival and it's very, very tall (laughs) and it's, it's just so impressive and you are the artist behind the Monkey Tower. So... Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this incredible artwork.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I am. Man, I'm so excited over this. Like, really excited. Um, the inspiration for the Monkey Tower actually came from uh, the Monkey King. So, the Monkey King founded in ancient to the West. Um, And yeah, I just love the idea of like when I first thought of the monkey, the first thing that popped into my head was this kind of cheeky, playful, kind of rebellious creature, Mm -hmm. a bit like a naughty toddler in a sense. Mm-hmm. I like to play pranks and then I I realized later down the line that that actually came from like that perspective perception of the monkey came from the monkey king and growing up with the monkey king story because he's also this kind of super rebellious cheeky uh kind of placed by his own rules figure mm-hmm. yeah so then I wanted uh these five um, monkeys that were kind of playing off each other. One's like got his foot in front of its face and is a bit annoyed by it and the other one's like trying to, to uh, hog all the peaches. Um, they're all like these, like they, they're really hungry, playful um, kids in a sense. Yeah. yeah and some
0: of them are holding peaches and there is a, a giant peach at the top of the monkey tower. Tell us about the significance of the peach.
1: Yeah, the peach in um, Chinese uh, tradition means long life or immortality. Um, but the first time I actually discovered it and uh, was a catalyst for uh, incorporating more Chinese aspects into my own practice, which I haven't really done before. Um, and that was when I was uh, visiting my family in China, and my my auntie had a uh, this like really kitschy like a sculpture of a peach tree in her Mm -hmm. house. And it's like the most gaudy thing ever. And I was really curious as to why she had it. And then I went to another auntie's place who runs a restaurant and she had a a poster of a a fat baby holding a peach. I was like, why is there all these sort of peaches? Mm -hmm. And I did some research and I realized it all comes from like uh, the story of the immortal peach tree Um, also can be found in Monkey King, um, Mm -hmm. where it's a peach that uh, gives you long life. uh, The tree uh, bears fruit of peaches that give you long life.
0: Do you incorporate much of your Chinese heritage or elements
1: of your Chinese heritage into your art? Uh, Now I do. Um, The last few years I have slowly um, started to incorporate it as I learn more about it myself. Um, it's really important to me to kind of embrace it because as a kid, I never really did. And the fact that I actually took pride in not, um, not being Chinese um, now is, is quite sad for me. And mm-hmm. I know that's like more of a kind of a societal pressure. Um, yeah, I, I'm very proud to be a Chinese-Australian. And I really want to embrace that. And a part of embracing that is is learning about it and exploring it and incorporating it into my work as I go through this journey.
0: And how have you been re it? Like how have you been discovering more aspects of it?
1: Um, well, things like um, encountering the peach tree and the poster of the, the fat baby with the peach, mm-hmm. um, those are all things like instead of just like, oh, that's just part of the decor, mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of looking – at it and trying to understand it. Um, these are things that, like, my cousins who grew up in China would just immediately know about it. Um, but I I haven't allowed myself to learn about it. Mm. And so, yeah, like, through my own family, I'm able to just discover a lot of things that I would have not learnt about before. And uh, a lot of this sort of stuff is in kind of supernatural Thinking and folklore that mm. wasn't allowed in my immediate, like, home. Mm. And so um, going on trips, like, residencies to China, to Beijing and Chongqing, um, immersing myself in all this, it's a really great way to actually start learning about it. Mm. Yeah. So
0: has your Chinese heritage ever been an asset or a hindrance in finding or creating opportunities for yourself?
1: Yeah, um it has. It like I was I was curated into a show once upon a time where I started to question whether I was being curated for my work or whether I was curated into it because I was a Chinese Australian. Hmm. Um and it was a show centered around kind of Chinese Australian artists and celebrating it um which is really awesome, but sometimes you wonder how much of it really is a celebration or how much of it is just ticking a box because yes. I think a lot of things nowadays um, like diversity truly is important but sometimes I feel like it's used as a just like tick the box to get a grant, or tick the box to to uh, make sure everything's PC enough for people or <laughs> yeah so um, sometimes I don't know when these sort of opportunities come along you've got to whether you take it because you believe in it or you or you don't because it's just not the right way of addressing those sort of things all right and um
0: finally with the year of the pig coming up what are you most looking forward
1: to oh boy oh my I, I still can't believe it's 2019 <laughs> um but you know I only just got over the fact that we, we were in 2018 I'm very slow with following the years um I think just Kind of like I think some sort of harmony involved, yeah, through mm. for me, the people around me, people in the world, world peace would be <laughs> 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 because, like at this current time, the environment, not just in Australia but in the world, it's pretty nuts, it doesn't seem like the you know that we would like as each year progresses along that we'll get into this sort of state whether it's like environmental or political it just seems like it like you scroll you scroll through the news feed and feels a bit like doomsday um (laughs) don't scroll through the news feed (laughs) yeah i oh man those two weeks in china no access to the news were actually so great (laughs) um yeah so i kind of hope that something really positive comes along where we it could come out of those sort of um, situations, those political environmental situations where something positive comes out, where people unite. Like, yeah, I just really want some sort of harmony, (laughs) some sort of wholesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today,
0: Louise, and your creation for the Monkey Tower at the festival is absolutely wonderful. So congratulations.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Louise. She mentioned that the Monkey Tower lantern is inspired in part by the legend of the Monkey King. And the little monkeys in the lantern are holding peaches. Legend has it that the Monkey King was protector of the peaches. These peaches, which are symbols of immortality or the wish for a long and healthy life, had a great effect if you ate them. 3,000 years of life after eating just one. Thanks for listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival. My name's Valerie Koo, and you can connect with me at valeriekoo.com. That's K-H-O-O. To find out more about the city of Sydney's Sydney Lunar Festival, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. Or to find out more about the people featured in this podcast and to keep up to date with future episodes, go to newstories.net.au.